paid good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. How far as you see, will you? I reckon 11 or 12. I'd be damned I ain't seen no Negro 12 fights. So we got us digging their graves, though. I guess everybody got to prove themselves. We've been in chains by your kind for two years. So he's a slave, then. You see chains on me? Or a mess around here barking orders? I ain't been no slave since I ran out that plantation. What was all that about? We up and run the railroad, Will. Getting slaves up north to Freedom's Lane. What the hell are you doing, boy? Get out! These words is my world. I'm God in You're going to have to keep on catching me because I ain't going to never stop running. Ain't no hiding the truth, Will. The truth is just waiting to be found. God damn it, we found it. We're going to hang you down like dogs. Hey, folks. Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking with Brett Smith. He is the director of the relatively new film, Freedom's Path. I say relatively because it came out last year, but it is now available on your streaming platform. Had a great time talking with Brett. Hope you have a great time listening to it, and definitely check out Freedom's Path when you get a chance. Can you tell me a little bit, Brett, about your background and how you even got into filmmaking? I didn't take a classic route to filmmaking. I didn't go to film school. It's not something I ever thought I was going to do. I've always loved stories and, and going to movies and things, but I was always into sports and a little bit as I grew up, I was always doing fun, goofy stuff with my friends, little spoof videos on the weekends, and loved that. But as I got a little bit older, I was realizing the stories I wanted to tell were maybe a little bit more dramatic and emotional. And when I talked to my friends and say, hey, I want you to do this scene, they're like, Brett, I don't want to cry on camera. No. And so I realized, all right, I got to go get real actors. And so for me, it was a very natural progression of just, okay, I got to learn this or I got to do that. So I think my film school was hitting my head against the wall a lot and making a lot of mistakes and uh, tripping and falling on my way to trying to get a movie made. You've made a lot of shorts over the years. Can you tell me about some of those? Absolutely. Yeah. So a couple of shorts I've done, honestly, they're brutal. My, my filmmaking team hates me because they're always ambitious and we never have money. <laughs> so it's a combination of horrible things. One short we did was, it was called Trout. It's about these boys who are just out. It's a Stand By Me film and it deals with some heavy topics, but it's all ultimately friendship coming of age adventure story and that was a film that you learn a lot working with kids and it's fun to really i think it really pushes you to the extremes because a lot of these kids haven't experienced some of the things that you're hoping that they can emote as an actor and so 
really getting creative and working with just these incredibly talented youth, finding your way to be able to tell a story authentically and getting those emotions out. And another one that, that I'm excited and passionate about was we shot a film called Neverland. And uh, that's a film about an inner city foster boy who has nothing but himself and his daydreams to keep him company. And, and he imagines himself a lost boy in Peter Pan's Neverland. Neverland is reflected in the world that he's teased. It is not a whimsical kind of place. And that was also another one that learning the process and the skill set of trying to make something look 10 times bigger than it is, whatever camera tricks you can do to how can you create Neverland without having a budget to go to Costa Rica or Hawaii or somewhere and amazing. I think the thing is I learned most about shooting those short films is learning to work with my team, appreciate people who give so much when you don't have a lot to give back. You're really in it for the story and the craft. So I think short films are an amazing way to learn, make mistakes, and also grow with yourself and your fellow filmmakers. Tell me about the original version of Freedom's Path. What was that like and how does it compare to the feature? So the process for me to make Freedom's Path was, it's been over 12 years. And so we actually listed it, a short film Freedom's Path in I think 2015, but it dates back before that. So what we did at the outset is we shot a concept teaser for the film up in Washington state in the United States. We found there's a local civil war reenactment going on. And we're like, we've got to get actors there. There's 300, 300, 400 people with cannons and they're all in their gear. And so we, we talked them into allowing us to bring two people on and we just, all we had to do is pay for their wardrobe and outfits. And we ran around all day shooting everything we could with our actors in the battle and running around and doing these things. And that was really the genesis of the film to be able to show people, this is the vision, this is the tone, this is the feel, this is what we want to do. And then we had brought on at one point a big Hollywood producer and he said, hey, this is great, but it's like a music video. Like I need to see dialogue. I need to see something. So shoot me something from the script. So we chose one of the really pivotal dramatic moments from the script Freedom's Path and shot that. And it was really a test scene. We called it a short film, I think, for some marketing reasons and for, for investors to show what we could do. But so it's interesting. It would, we never actually even were able to do a proper uh, short film, but it was an amalgamation of highlights and, and visuals that we would like to incorporate into the film, as well as having the great blessing and benefit of shooting an actual scene from the film. So when we, it was funny, when even though it was years later or something, when we actually shot the film, not quite six or seven, when that scene came up, it was a hard scene, but, and it happened to be like 13 degrees that night, which was brutal, but we had already shot at my cinematographer and was able to just know exactly what to do and how to get it and even delivery and things. So that was a very nice little blessing in disguise at the time. It was frustrating to have to go and shoot, but it was great because it taught us a lot. And how did you go from that short to the feature? How did that actually get greenlit? And this is your feature debut, correct? This is, yeah, this is, again, I didn't take that normal route. And I, I don't say that proudly. I say, I think I'm just stubborn and, and not very smart. And so what I did is I tried to go the classic Hollywood route. I tried to attach big production companies or big producers and we had interest, but I found that anytime I gave someone, I put the ball in someone else's court, it took a lot of time and it wasn't their dream. It wasn't their baby. And I understand that and that's totally fine. And also in some of the, the advice they give me when I'd follow that advice, I would actually find myself doing the opposite of that and getting way further along. And so what I did is after a number of years trying to do the standard Hollywood thing of what the industry was telling me to do, I just said, you know what? I've got a computer. I've got the passion. It's a numbers. And so I spent two and a half years research just between eight and 10 hours a day, 
reaching out cold. I sent out over 4,300 emails. It was actually probably quite a bit north of that and found all of the investors through just cold outreach. And it was a horrible process. It was hard, but it's also one of the most rewarding ones because making connections and finding people who truly believe in the project and people that, that I can work with in the future. So that was the green light literally didn't come from anyone. It was just realizing that the green light existed somewhere out there and had to slog through thousands and thousands of no's to find our right people. So that was the process of at least finding the financing. And then it was assemble my team that I've worked with on all, all these short films and the people that I trust and that have a shorthand with me. And we've been in the trenches together. And so when those hardships came, I knew we could rely on each other and we'd come out on top. So that was the, the green light process, maybe more of like a red, yellow light. I don't know what it was, but like an orange light. You talked about how your friends wouldn't cry on camera, but here you've been working with real actors for a while now. This cast that you have for Freedom's Path is amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about them and how they came together? Oh my goodness, yeah. I can't sing their praises enough. We were so lucky and so fortunate to have each and every one. Garen Howell plays the lead role of William, our Union soldier, and RJ Kyler plays the other lead role of Kitsch, our free man. And it is... These two individuals, for me, it was a very methodical process because you have to find the right people. This is truly a drama. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of nuance. And the relationship, the concept of the film, beginning having being very frictitious to ultimately arcing into brothers and understanding each other from worlds that are very far apart and built in prejudice and all these things. And so to naturally find that rhythm and flow, it's a challenge. And when I got to meet and talk to both Garen and RJ, it was one of those truly light switch moments where you see tons of talented actors. You, you talk to plenty of actors and, and they're fantastic. When you find the actors that are right for the story and the world that you're building and they get it and they understand it and they have those, that just that X factor to them specifically for these characters, you just know it. And that, and that was one of the most exciting things for those two. It's like I tell people, because this was a lower budget indie, we didn't have tons of prep time. We didn't have rehearsal time. It was we, RJ and Garen. Garen's from London. RJ's in California, originally from Florida. And they met for an hour, a couple of days before the production. And their chemistry just immediately. And we actually had to pull it back because they'd be so good for it. They'd be joking and they'd actually have a shorthand. Not yet. Like, we got to wait. That bump page like six, not page 10. So that was fun. And then we had Ewan Bremner. Just an amazing, accomplished actor, character actor, brilliant Scottish actor. He played the role of Silas, which was an incredibly challenging role. And, and Ewan is, is known for a lot of his comedic, comedic roles. And so he took on a role, especially with an, English, an American Southern accent, things that he hadn't done. And he, people honestly, they don't even recognize him because he, he really gets into character. And it's a challenging one to walk a very fine line to make it believable and not cartoonish or anything. And he, he did just a phenomenal job. And then the, all of our actors, but Carol Sutton, I have to call out, she unfortunately passed away due to, from COVID, gave the, the performance of a lifetime, just a brilliant person. And she was amazing. A female Omalami who plays the role of Ellis, also just an incredible and accomplished actor. All these, all these individuals gave everything. Thomas Jefferson Bird is another incredible actor storied background and also unfortunately passed away very tragically and so having this be their last films there's definitely an extra weight to that right 
you're already dealing with significant and substantive content, but then to realize that you're carrying the last performances of some truly great individuals and incredibly talented actors that added weight. But we were so blessed with every single actor who got in front of the screen. A number of actors who had never acted before is their first time. And that was so exciting to be able to work with them and see just their raw talent. And yeah, I, I think it was, again, we were just so lucky that they made my job easy. I just got to sit back and I was honestly, there was a number of times I forgot to yell cut because I was just so lost in the performance. Oh yeah, I guess they have to cut. That was, guys, let's do it again. So it was a lot of fun and, and very lucky to have it. Well, you didn't make it easy on yourself for your feature debut where you're doing a period piece and yeah, you've got British actors coming over and putting out the American accents. That must have been quite a challenge. It was, it's funny because I first started this project. I talked to a number of people about it. This story just compelled me and drove me. And I talked to a number of filmmaking friends and people and they literally, they said, don't, do not make this movie. Like it's a period piece. It's got battles. It's huge and scenic and, and epic in its nature and scope and don't. So you're stupid. And it's okay. Like I have to. And there were definitely many challenging things, but I think, I think, as I mentioned, the financing process and the process to even get the film to the point of being able to make it, that really was the real fight. And so anything that, how hard that was and the hardships that we dealt with to even get to production, it became amazing. It actually gave so much context because when we were on set and dealing with 90% of this film is exterior, we have almost no interiors in the film. And that makes it challenging when you have rough weather and we have the second worst fall on record in Arkansas. And so we were navigating mud and tornadoes and everything you can imagine. It was brutal, but made it incredible is going through the previous hardships, realized don't take it for granted. This is the dream right now. We're having fun and we're creating and realizing it's a creative process. And so any obstacle that came in front of us, we realized we could get around it because we'd already done the hardest work. And right now it's, this is fun. And any challenge we have, we can overcome it. And so that was, again, another blessing in disguise that at the time out of I was kicking the wall and hitting myself or what am I, what are we doing here trying to raise money for this crazy movie on my first one? But it ultimately ended up being one of the saving graces of the films for my, me and my team to say, hey, like we're doing it. So other people who are in the industry that we brought in, they were incredibly talented. They were so stressed about certain things. We're like, we got this. Let's go. Okay, we're making a movie. Here we go. So it was a lot of fun. And you shot this all in 2019? We did at the very end of 2019, right before COVID came in. We shot it in Northwest Arkansas. There was, I won't get into the details of it, but there was a dealt with someone who basically committed fraud. They said that they were, they contracts were signed, everything. And it was an investor that was vetted and all these things. And we found out that they were never going to come in. And it was a huge amount of the budget. And this was a couple of weeks. The actors were out. We had spent a ton of money and everyone's saying, push the spring. And literally the two days before production began, we had an angel come through and allow us to close finance. And we actually had to still raise money. While we were shooting, I was actually still calling investors and trying to find the last pieces to close financing, but we were able to get it done. And had we pushed, it would have been it would have been rough. So COVID, it was also as hard as it was for everybody for the sake of the film, it was a bit of a blessing also because we were able, there was no rush. We were taking our time to really find the film in the edit and, and make sure we had the, the right story and we're telling it the way that we felt it needed to be told. I'm glad for that. One of the, the few blessings of COVID that you were able to find that film that way. Yeah. So you even had a limited theatrical release. We did. Yeah, we did. We were so fortunate enough to have the opportunity to screen through AMC and Regal and 
working with Byron Allen HBCU Go to raise money for certain underserved HBCU, historically black colleges and universities. And so that was a really exciting thing. And to be able to get it on the big screen and, and see it up there, it's an experience I'll never forget. Until the next one. Until the next one. So. Yeah. What was that like for you to see that with an audience, to see that on the big screen? Terrifying. Terrifying. It's funny because when you're in the process of, of making a film, you shoot the film. First, you write it and you think about it. Know it that well. It really well. And then you shoot the film and you really know it. And then when you edit it, you're just, it's, you're just over and you're seeing it hundreds of times. And so honestly, you almost look for opportunities to be able to see the film in it with new eyes and fresh eyes. And it's a challenging thing to do. So when you're able to sit with an audience, in some ways, you're just terrified because every little mistake that no one else is going to see probably, but for you, it's like the biggest thing. And when it was tense audiences and then it was actually in the theaters, I can't touch it anymore. I can't change it. There it is. It was, it was really amazing. I think the most, any chance I get, I sit in the very back of the theater in the corner so that I can watch like, how are they reacting? Are they jumping when, are they jumping in certain parts? Are the parts they're laughing at? Every audience is different. So some will be laughing at parts that I didn't even know are funny. And so it's, it was really gratifying to just see people respond in any way, whether they loved it, hated it or anything in between. It was just, it was neat to see someone respond to project that so many put so much into. So what's next for the film? Next for the sale. So we are out streaming everywhere. Finally, for people to see, we're going to be, we'll be finding a more permanent streaming home first of the year. And just right now working on getting it out to the masses, letting people know it's there and getting the chance to see it and experience it and hopefully take something away and learn something from it. And how about for you? What's next for you? For me, working on a World War II period piece, another period piece, but this is about, <laughs> this is about the kids who are left at home as their dads are off fighting. It's the standby meme means dead, dead, dead poet society. Really excited about that. And then also I, I referenced Neverland, the short film we did a number of years ago, working on turning that into a feature. And, and that one, like Freedom's thought, that may take, I may be a grandfather by the time that one's done, but working on that, getting that ready. That's another one that's like my baby. I'm so excited about those two. You definitely seem to have the drive and the ambition. So I don't think that anyone would be errant to place their faith in you to get these things done. No, that means a lot. Oh, I'm not going to win all the time because every day is different. I'll wake up. I'm like, I want to go. I'm going to go, I don't know, clock in and I'll be a secretary somewhere. I don't care. I just not fail, but no, the passion's there. Hopefully it sticks with me. So I, I appreciate that. Brett, thank you so much for your time. This was great. Mike, thank you.
guitar off mic, please. Guitar mic.
All box office people, please go to the main box office. We don't need it anymore. Somebody unplug the line, man. Let's have a hot mic. <laughs>